Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the deadly boys of What Culture, yeah. Michael Ampler and Michael Sidgwick here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT Dubai. Oh! Pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a big quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by the Dadleys, the lads are back together in a podcast described by some as one of the only professional wrestling podcasts that's actually worth a f- Yeah. Yeah. Talk me through it, Sige, that experience. Well, I was uh, sh- Myself, <laughs> so I'm not a journalist in this uh, in this press conference scrum. Boiling hot, boiling hot. Um, I so the plan was to play along during the wrestler portion and ask the wrestlers who are performing in character in a continuation of storylines um, Questions in character. Yeah. And then when we got to Tony, hold up your hand and ask a real question so you don't get, like, bullied on Twitter. And mm. deservedly so for being a complete bitch. So I asked MJF and Orange Cassidy, question in character, and I was never called upon for the Tony Khan. I was going to ask him um, using All Out 2020 and the Gauntlet match as an example of... I've had several months now in these sort of post-rankings era, mm-hmm. like multiple, almost countless listeners engaging us about why they went away and how it's bad that they did. Do you think AEW was any better or worse off for abandoning mm. rankings? But I didn't get answer that, uh, asked that question, I'm afraid. But with MGF stood opposite me, I thought, well, frankly, to be cynical, I wanted to hear some of his banter because mm-hmm. he's hilarious. And I wanted to quote Mm. You've got to quote, well, that's been everywhere, that, that New Japan's an indie fair, do I have to flip yeah. and work? He didn't say it like that, but no. do I have to flip and work, forbidden door, etc. So I was basically playing the game. Yeah. He wanted to get to give a quote. He cuts brilliant heel promos, and I wanted a good quote that we could hide on our YouTube, and I would not have reckoned for the other thing he said. <laughs> not least on account that he negs every single other person. So the whole rhythm of the MJF thing was, receive a question, take the piss out of the person that's asked the question, cut a really great promo, that is dressed as an answer. And our question happened. 
<laughs> I will say that in order to get heat once on dynamite, he put over Disco Inferno. So maybe, <laughs> maybe it was like a deep cut burial that we've completely missed. Yeah. Who the hell knows? But uh, what an experience that was. Um, that was a whole week. Vegas is intense. Yes. Possibly a little bit too intense for my constitution as a 37-year-old. 21-year-old me would have been in absolute heaven. 38-year-old <laughs> me was. Uh, the first day was, ooh, this is very intense. Mm. And then I realized, you know what? In order to encourage you to gamble, they advise you to lower your inhibitions, which they accomplish by offering $2 beers in the <laughs> casinos. And I... Uh, Took advantage of that to take the edge off Vegas. Food's ridiculous. Just simply walking up and down the strip is an experience, sightseeing, travel diary in and of itself. I ate loads of like horrific but beautiful food. Drank a lot of really nice and lower price alcohol. Um, Got some stories that will not make it outside of these walls. (laughs) And the shows... Like wrestling, again, it, it's so much better live. Yeah. You can tell why this started off. Obviously, it always had regional TV. Um, and in fact, was a huge driver of the very first television boom with Gorgeous George. This is a live show, and it should be a live show. It's very easy to lose sight of what makes wrestling so great when you are just almost exclusively consuming it through television. You get perspective for just how great it is when you watch it live. So much so that I obviously was going to be predisposed to enjoying the live shows. I was flown over there on work time. Um, It was an absolute privilege to go and cover. Um, We were in an incredibly fortunate position to be able to do that. I watched these shows thinking, if I was watching these on telly, I'd be way more critical. But Mm. yeah, it's just everything pops. Every chop is so loud. Like every aerial, they feel like they're flying that little few more feet in the distance. Mm. Like the commander rope walk dive spot in particular is ridiculous live. Um, so I, re- professional wrestling is meant to be enjoyed live. That was my key takeaway. But we will, in fact, have more takeaways mm. on what separates AEW's live experience coming to YouTube shortly. So subscribe and uh, watch out for that. One that won't be in that video because it's more... We've already got the 10. Yeah, because we've, <laughs> we've already set on our ten, but because it's kind of like specific both to us and the people that live this was that I found. Um, so, like, obviously, we get UK tours, uh, but typically it's quite hard to be. We joked, you know, it's, if only we could get into basketball, but it's just such a funny times. And then all kind of realised, hang on, we're here on a wrestling trip. That's no easier. But like, typically, obviously, we have these daft times of night where we have to watch it, or indeed get up really early in the morning. It has to be one or the other. Um, but this was my first experience watching wrestling on uh, West Coast time. Oh, it was great. And it does feed into like a couple of complaints me and Sid shared on the Dynamite review last week, and indeed about how AEW produces these long live tapings. But get into the arena for like three in the afternoon for what would hypothetically be, let's say, a two to three hour experience. Kicks ass. Mm. Like that's a, to- that's a totally different experience again mm-hmm. um, that people on the West Coast probably understandably don't appreciate because it's just their norm. But... It's like East Coast is pretty good, but West Coast is even better. Like it's daylight when you're finished. Yeah. Your, your day remains, you know, like the the idea that parents pick the kids up from school at like three in the afternoon, right, straight to the building, let's go to wrestling and then go out for tea afterwards. It's yet another wrinkle to sort of how it can be enjoyed live in a, in a 
completely different way to just what we're conditioned to. Yeah. You pick wrestling as a young person in the UK, prepare for endless late nights, days booked off work and all the rest of it that like those chilled out people on the West Coast simply don't have. There's reasons why it seems a more low-key, low-energy vibe, but in a nice way, yeah. genuinely in a nice way. And if you think I'm, I'm being uh, weird by only asking Sidge about his experience, me and Hamlet talked a lot about uh, the Las Vegas trip as well on the NXT Review podcast. So go and check that out if you want to hear some more stories from the trip. And no doubt we'll, we'll get more and more as this podcast goes on and throughout the rest of the week and into next week. Oh, we'll try and drag this out as long as possible. Oh, I, wanna, I some, want this vibe to continue. Some really fun Vegas-specific content dropping soon in the channel that was a bit of a passion project. Oh, yeah. Cedric and I, I'm, I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see How that. Phil can make movie magic out of what we recorded. But it's going to be good, I think. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about last night's AEW Dynamite. It was quite good, wasn't it? It was a fantastic show. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing, right? Maybe I'm defensive over the fact that it was Double or Nothing 2023 that I got to see live. But the idea that we've gone from Heroes of Wrestling tier to February 2022 tier over the course of one single episode of Dynamite. Eh, I'm getting defensive over that. <laughs> because I thought half the build to Double or Nothing was great. Mm. Like, half the Double or Nothing card was exceptional. That is not a hit rate that is acceptable to me, but the idea that it was absolutely flat-out terrible and saved last night, I think that's uh, a little bit ridiculous and very, very easy as a narrative. Like, the last two matches of Double or Nothing were spectacular. There was some really great stuff on the undercard. And we saw Kenny Omega handing a broom to Hangman Page. Um, MJF and Sammy's interactions. Um, Roddy Strong versus Chris Jericho. Like, there was some magic on AEW in this build. Mm. And it's just annoying that people have simplified it to get clicks and yeah. likes. I saw a great tweet. I've forgotten who did this, so I do apologize. It said, uh, mad that Double or Nothing was, you know, one of the worst AW pay-per-views that's ever been. And yet it still, had, it still had one of the best battle royals you've ever seen, one of the best four ways you've ever seen, a fantastic main event. Like you say, just, it's, in spots it wasn't great, obviously, but... I get the standard. Yeah. I've been saying yeah. for, weirdly, like years at this point, that they should be held to the highest standard. So maybe I'm biased because I went there live, but at the same time, let's not just say that, all of Double or Nothing, the build and the paper itself, mm. were terrible because that's simply not true. No. And it's just really cynical, I think. The standard is key, I think. The uh, the new followers that came as a result of MJF's tweet will forgive me. <laughs> but I made a point last night that I was that watching... That was my bit, new followers. So. I was watching Dynamite with the kind of feeling that we were at... You know, like, we were all at TakeOver New York. And mm -hmm. in hindsight, that was the finale to NXT full stop. Double or nothing already feels like the finale of a bit of like a mid-era, but just a mid-era. Like it was still had all the stuff that Sidgwick mentions. It was still, it still had the potential to always be great. It just too often wasn't living up yeah. to that potential. Um, Double and loads of people were saying Double or Nothing is the worst AW pay for you ever, ever. And that includes the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. um, and like off the top of my head, I, I don't know. I don't know, but it's in the lower it bracket. It might be the second worst. It's in the lower bracket. But it's still an 8 out of 10 show. And that's about the standards, isn't it? And I felt last night's Dynamite didn't have... Immediately I said some words to that effect, and I was praising it in other tweets. Really high on it. And, it, like, somebody... I can't remember who it was. And it wasn't in a cynical response, but it was like, no, it wasn't. This date, this date, this date, and this date were great Dynamites. And there was only one that leapt out to me. And it was that, sh that week that had the... 
the date anyway, I remember the date for some reason. It had the, I think it was, was Brian and Bandido the same week as the ladder match conclusion of the best of seven series. I think also had some Possibly, else yeah. Right around that time, it was like you had Brian running the, the gauntlet to MJF and the trios tournament was concluded and all that kind of thing. So obviously loads of blistering in-ring. But I remember the kind of like the feeling at the time being like absolutely incredible matches. These episodes aren't really flowing. Like I'm not connecting with these stories and stuff. I'm not so sure that much excelled from an in-ring point of view last night. But as an episode, that's the most exciting Dynamite has felt in months, months and months. Mm. Like last night, by the end of the first hour, I was feeling like, oh my God, this is like summer 2021 form. And what I remember about summer 21 was... The second hour was never quite as hot, but it's pretty great. And that was what I got. Mm. That was what I got as a dynamite experience. I can't remember the last time the two hours flew by with so many exciting minor developments. And we talked yesterday about like table setting. I don't know like what you saw yesterday, Sid, how your sleeping was, but it was, we recorded. Probably better than his because he considered he watched it live. Oh God, I'm delirious at this point. We recorded the preview yesterday late, like four o'clock, one match announced. Yeah, that was it. And one segment, which was... They Callis- all came out after the pod. Callis and Takesh to speak, and I was like, this is weird. Yeah, we only had wa- Jericho and, and Soraya versus Cole and Baker. Now, uh, pure speculation. I don't know if stuff came together late or if there were being changes made. Made It was a bit of a mad scramble. Who knows? But I was sort of optimistic. I was like, there's so much table setting to be done here because so much stuff was, was pretty cold going into double nothing. So let's see new developments. Let's see the like new things teased. And I think that honestly helped. I don't advocate for every week. Definitely, it's bad bad practice. But I really liked how some of the stuff felt new and spontaneous. They do this mm. pretty much after every pay-per-view because they kind of give you any matches on the Wednesday ahead of the next Wednesday yes. when there's a pay-per-view. So they, they do this every time. To the extent of one match, though. That felt like an extreme case. Well, they, they do this pretty much every single time. That's my memory failing. Like That feels like there's always been at least like two or three things to preview. I can't remember a Dynamite preview that was that sparse. We had nothing other than two advertised things to talk about. I mean, yet we still managed to call one of the biggest cruxes of this show. Yeah. We'll Might be an extreme on. version. Was, I think that was what it was. It felt like an extreme example. But they do this every time there's a pay-per-view because they can't say, oh, this mm. person's wrestling this person mm. because they say, all right, okay, well, they're getting booked for a big push, which means they would have won. Yeah. So it yeah. happens more often than people say. It's a bit like the New Japan thing, I guess, isn't it? You've got, like, where matches, you can't announce matches in advance because they've got to get through the set of results. Like, Dominion's upcoming. So Forbidden Door can't properly take shape until we know where all the characters yeah. are after Dominion, yeah. Um, well, let's start with the opening of the show, which featured one of these matches that were announced late. The BCC, Moxley, Claudio, Utah versus the Lucha Bros and Bandido. Uh, a lot of gear stuff on this show, wasn't there? Yeah. Bandido was that superhero character that I've already forgotten the name of, but was doing the rounds. Um, looked great because it looked a bit silly. But Bandido owned it, and then that infuriated Brian Danielson even more. Like, how dare he yeah. challenge the Blackpool Comic Club dressed like that? Great on commentary, wasn't he? Insult to oh, sensibility. He's so good. There's a there's a BCC detail here. So obviously we were there live last week and couldn't hear Danielson's commentary, and later found out that he was furious with Utah. And we saw the after t- the post taping slaps that he gave Utah hard across the face. And then this week he was in such celebratory mood about how his training of Utah in the Desert had worked, and how you to get in the win here was proof that the BCC's creepy methods actually <laughs> work. And this stable is really—it's taking this like new shape as this 
thing you really don't want to be in. Like, they're, they're a nasty bunch of people mm. that have their ways and have their methods, but the more effective they are, the more they're justified in Can keeping it... Can you say it, also, yeah, you would have been pinned by that last week? Yeah. For like a like, frog splash in this. They're thing. keeping it weird, and it's working for them. And it's, it's a, I think it's made the act whole again. The original vision's really starting to come into focus yeah. now. They're really starting to play with what they wanted to do the whole time. So the BCC tried to attack early, but they all get super kicked to the floor. And there's a big brawl around ringside before the match officially begins. Um, at which point, Bandido does the stalling vertical suplex on Utah for a full minute, whilst Danielson pitches a fit on commentary. So good. Knee him in the head! Uh, anyway, Utah gets, gets uh, back into the match by avoiding uh, Fear Factor and then immediately gets hit with a rope walk kick from Ray Phoenix. Penner takes out Castagnoli with a backstabber, um, but Mox and Castagnoli get back into it for the BCC by hitting uh, an assisted spike pile driver on the floor to take us to the break. When we come back, Bandido's been isolated, but he hits a uh, Torneo. Uh, Phoenix gets the hot tag. Comeback thrust kick to Castagnoli. Corner spin kick to Wheeler Utah. Double dives from the Lucha Bros onto Moxley and Claudio. Bandido hits that frog splash I mentioned earlier for a great two count on Wheeler Utah. Moxley saves him from the 21 plex. Castagnoli comes in with an uppercut uh, and Utah hits the Busaiku knee, that hammer and anvil elbows, and uh, gets him with a seatbelt pin, to which, like you say, Danielson uh, heaps more praise on him. Vintage dynamite opener, really. Yeah. Um, protracted. A protracted squash in the sense that you knew who the winners and the losers were, but the action's so awesome, you're permitted to forget for like 10 to 15 minutes. Couldn't have loved this more. The Blackpool Combat Club are heels now and are being... But they're like, they're quite unique heels. John Moxley and Brian Danison get massive cheers, but act now as villains because they target baby faces. They target beloved baby faces, as we see with the Callis promo later on. And they're mean and they're cruel in the ring. But also, fans back winners. And they want to see people doing what they say they're going to do. So they're quite well placed at the moment to be just horrible bastards, but ones that you can't help begrudgingly respect until they're taking out your faves. I, I really love where they're at with them. And they're probably, like, there stands a chance to be and should be, like, the best blood and guts ever. Like, I'm increasingly made confident that they're finally going to nail the stipulation mm. because the BCC have never been in, like, such good form. I can't remember a heel act that has been as perfectly refined as these. Even Jericho, it's in a circle peak. It had to revolve around Chris Jericho. They've opened this up to, like, Utah's progression has started all over again. Mm. And when they were baby faces, like, if you remember for a while, him and Claudio were really sort of just coasting along a little bit. Like, Claudio looks like a monster. You've got now four individual characters that really know themselves, and Utah having this such fantastic week off the back of one loss, as I say, vindicates their, their methods. This was fantastic, I thought. It wasn't quite on the level of those blow away, I cannot believe this is on free TV, like, sorry, vintage <laughs> dynamites. But I was so mad into this. Just two sets of teams with a completely secure sense of identity, each elevating the other, like the BCC looking so vicious and like nasty and dominant. I was thinking to myself, like, how good must you be to be able to like quell these guys who can just jump and dive and do spectacular things? And it's by the same token, I was thinking, well, how spectacular is this babyface unit to be able to survive like these vicious ass kickings? And it just came together so beautifully. Like the finishing sequence was electrifying. Just felt like everyone got over, everyone showed out, everyone was just determined to really just do this incredible opener. And it 
felt far more close and competitive than it had any right to. Clearly, the VCC mm. are the biggest heel unit in the company. Clearly, they're not going to lose after that massive win over the Elite. Clearly, they're going to have another big match with the Elite, so they had to get, be kept strong here. But I just fully lost myself because this action was so good. First example of many, by the way, with the San Diego crowd were unbelievable. Oh, yeah, we should one give them a mention. Best Dynamite crowds, and include the one I was sat in seven days ago, but one of the best crowds all year that I can remember. I don't know. I'm never as good. Sid, you got a better memory for, like, Dynamite geography. Can't remember the last time they were there or if they were there at all. But this is a where this is a market debut. Oh, and it felt every bit of that. Yeah. Like, please don't go back every week for the next few months. Yeah. Please keep it fresh there because like uh, they've done this before, and I understand the There's business strong, patterns for it. But strong late business as well. Ah, oh, the fans were in the mood all this, night. This the WrestleTicks. This was looking grim for mm. several weeks, yeah. and then it's all of a sudden. Uh, so maybe double or nothing uh, drew people in actually. So shut up, haters. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Marvez backstage with the Young Bucks, Hangman Page. <laughs> what a question. How are you feeling after anarchy in the arena? Uh, Matt Jackson says, BCC brought out the worst in them. He never thought he'd see the day he tried to burn off someone's face with an exploding sneaker. Yeah, that's understandable. Um, Great minds think alike with that spot. Yeah, Cedric's holiday. Funny that. Page said, they're still standing, they're still swinging. Uh, BCC has to rely on numbers games. Uh, and then in comes uh, Evil Uno uh, with Alex Reynolds and John Silver. Ooh, new friends um, for uh, Hangman Page. And he's sort of torn whether or not to go after them and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but Marvez, <laughs> I did like the fact he seemed to really drag out the question. Page is like, can I help? I need to catch him <laughs> up. Um, what's going on with Kenny Omega uh, and uh, him going back to Canada? Hangman Page just drops a little. He's not gone to Canada. That's all we get. He's gone to get caught at Ibushi. And he said two friends. So probably because he's got a carder. So who's the Blackpool Combat Club sixth? I don't know. Will Osprey probably. Yeah, he said. He said uh, like they're going to have to get a couple of friends, and obviously teamed with Okada. So that would be six versus five at this point. It would be, but yeah, the bruv thing from Don Callis builds that if they wanted. To, I mean, Christ Almighty, what a ridiculous six on six match yes. that is! I love this. I love this. It could go the full two hours of dynamite. Yeah, <laughs> I, th- I thought this was such an like a brilliant and economical segment here. The exposition was laid on very thick, but like. The visual signifier of Evil Uno being back in the suit. Like the Dark Order is getting pretty dark again. I've seen as Hangman Page is like they've got this justifiable like kind of rage with Hangman Page that they were trying to stifle themselves and Page wanting to be the good guy and fix it and all of that. They're gonna deck him. And they're gonna have a little bit of justification for that. So there's that. Uh either Kenny and Japan stuff. Just Matt laying out the violence as a reminder. Like remind people that your pay-per-views are worth spending money on, even if Everybody's telling you it was the worst ever and that the next thing is going to be just as violent as the last one. Selling the consequences at the same time, like these were three men looking pretty weak and frazzled. Seconds after the BCC have just looked stronger than ever, that sort of stuff really counts. And then given the... So Hangman Page has chased the Dark Order off and then the commentary made a point of saying, after what we saw earlier on, the Elite have already left the building, which freed up Don Callis to do what he did later on. Mm. This is AEW. This is all Elite Wrestling being what it was always supposed to be. I love this. Like, they've already created multiple match permutations on this ongoing BCC versus Elite feud. The most ridiculous uh, E-Fed save of all time, potentially with this Blood and Guts match, and if it's a six-on-six, doing the maths of two friends, okay, that's six versus five. Who's Who's the sixth member of the other team? Why did he say two friends? So it's already, like, loaded with mystery, Loaded with dream match potential. If they do sort of 
matches within this potential 12-man dynamic ahead of Blood and Guts, you get all sorts of wrestling brilliance. And now, another thread of silk on this spider web, so you can get the Elite versus Dark Order again. You could potentially get Elite in a a Dark Order heel turn. Maybe it's like a situational, we need to pay this off. Like, it's just expanding into, like, several brilliant possibilities. Uh, Speaking of things you love... I've really uh, changed my mind on uh, Bullet Club Gold. Yeah. I think, I think Juice Robinson has just completely changed me. <laughs> when he, any time he's on camera, he's a fascinating specimen, and I mean that in the in the, all the connotations that, that comes with it. And then I love this segment. So Tony Schiavone brings out Jay White and Juice Robinson. They ask about the backstage attack on Ricky Starks, double or nothing. Um, White's like, oh, yeah, I bet he feels on top of the world having eliminated us both from the Battle Royal, but you're not international champion, and you lost to me, so uh, 2-1, actually. Um, <laughs> and uh, he talk, they talk about FTR saving him uh, and the fact that Ricky Starks hasn't got any friends. Um, and they run down the, the tag team champions until, of course, they come out. Uh, so, of course, Jay White and Juice Robinson hide behind Tony Schiavone uh, and ask if FTR are there to apologize to them. Um, maybe they're there to join Bullet Club Gold. Top shelf, top guys. Um, and White goes to hand the microphone to, I think it was Dax, drops it. And uh, this is the, the gifts everywhere because it looks like it's out of Sonic. Robinson doesn't just punch Dax Holden. He does it with a handful of quarters that then goes everywhere. <laughs> it's such a great visual. Uh, they beat him up. Blade Runner to uh, Wheeler. Um, Cash Wheeler, that is, not Wheeler you. Uh, and... Uh, Ricky Starks comes down to make the save, but they've already bailed. And Starks challenges uh, Jay White to finally put an end to this on next week's Dynamite. I love this segment. So I'd be remiss if I didn't say how much me and Sidgwick were howling. Oh, Juice my Robinson. God. Like, what was the particular Juice line? Because I can't remember what it was that he was screaming in Ricky Starks' face. Ricky's name. Was it oh, when he was on the ramp a few it, weeks back? It, it, no, it was last backstage week. feet oh, okay. down. Because I remembered Jay White going, do the pose, do the do pose. The, I'll do the pose. <laughs> just mocking the pose. Juice Robinson, was just, I think you're right. I think he was just screaming his name. We were pissing ourselves how good Juice Robinson was. So not only was this meritocracy stuff, because this felt like a reward. Like These were really funny. Give them promo time. Give them showcase stuff in the Battle Royal. Give them a promo. The sequencing was finally made right on this dynamite. The heels come out first and mouth off. And obviously then you get the FTR inclusion, which was like nicely folded in of this thing at the pay-per-view, but Ricky Starks makes the save. Previously, if you think about it, it's Ricky Starks talking first. Um, I'm pissed off with these guys, and then triggering him getting attacked. And, like, it only dawned on me last night how that's been one of the many problems with this. Mm. That's the wrong way around. Here he was, the hero, coming to make the save and saying, I've had enough of you total creeps, and I'm going to beat you next week, Jay White. This was such a fantastic course correction, and everybody was deserving of the moment because of what they've been doing recently on television. There's more of this later on the show, but increasingly, this felt like a rankings era episode and that things were happening as a result of rankings that didn't exist, but things you were led to infer off the back of other people's actions, and everybody doing what they were doing best. Starks as a babyface can't be as arrogant as he was, as absolute Ricky Starks the heel, but should perform with confidence and conviction, and it's been skewing way too much as cockiness, and it's not worked. Mm. This worked for everybody. This was absolutely class. Jay White looked like a star Mm. for pretty much the first time, even though he was wicked in that battle royal. Yeah. Like, class, proper Jay White performance. So he's built on that last night. The rule of quarters is a great visual. Just a very, very simple, classic device to get heat, a different thing we see 
because physical money, I feel like I'm the only person alive who carries it. <laughs> um, like, I thought Juice Robinson was finished. Like, singles matches, he's not been great. He doesn't have the same, it's not the aura of a star. Juice Robinson is this incredibly bring, obnoxious sidekick character. Is money. The guy is really funny. Jay White definitely feels like a star because this guy is just desperately like trying to catch a hold of his coattails. Um, FTR just meant business. One little flaw is that the second they dropped the microphone, he should have nutted him. Mm. So that was an act of disrespect. And then we do the quarters. And then the weapon shot is established that, okay, the heels are can get the heat on the baby face now because they've used a weapon and that should have summoned Starks. But that was so minor because this was so rapturously received. Speculating on uh, on people joining up with people, you would assume if it's FTR and Starks that Bullet Club are going to bring someone, or Bullet Club Golden going to bring someone else from Bullet Club, especially like you say with this, the time of year being this. But there's all, also an argument to be made with the news today uh, about Ricky Starks taking a pop at the four pillars, that you could put someone, one of them in there as well. I mean, it will presumably be someone like Sammy Guevara. I don't think that's going to happen, mm. but that's the fact, that's the, the sort of big picture stuff that you always talk about. Get more mystery. I'd be, with Forbidden Door upcoming, I think that's a trios match for Forbidden Door. Yeah. yeah. Finjuice and White mm-hmm. against FTR and Starks. They'll have to address Finley kicking Jay White out of Bullet Club in New Japan, but they can do that. Yeah. Like, but that'll have to be because that was just weird, wasn't it? That Jay White was immediately reinserted as a Bullet Club guy when he yeah, was, that's what was so inexplicable. Not well, just the fact that the Bullet Club Bullet Club brand is like dead. Yeah, so that will need a, a quick fix. But I think they can get there. Yeah, or like it was ELP in the Young Bucks last year, wasn't it? Yeah, so they'll do any sort of version of it if it if the situation requires. Uh, then it was time for Tony Khan's big announcement. Yeah, uh, a very simple one. He's backstage. Thanks, guys. Uh, and uh, he announces that the debut edition of AEW Collision will feature, drumroll please, CM Punk. Yay! <laughs> and also... No, dear, that's wrong. Judging by that crowd. Yeah, that, yeah. it was that, wasn't it? Does it even work? Yay! No, dear, that's wrong. Very good. Pretty much. Um, I, there's been a lot of debate with no simple objective answer about the extent of the booze. Was it a vocal minority who are always louder and um, with that guttural woo noise or because they, the, the production crew managed to capture a lot of enthused faces and limbs, but even when it was going to close-ups limbs. of people, there was some like thumbs pointing downwards that the volume was inconclusive. It, mixed was the word for me. Uh, yeah, I looked mm-hmm. at some stuff on Twitter and it was... I thought watching it on telly, I was like, oh, that's generally well received. And then you nah, look, I, I, I immediately was struck by, oh, that's mixed. Same. I felt mixed. Mm. Um, People have pointed out. Was it like in Vegas when they did it? Huge pop. Okay. Pop for Chicago, chant for CM Punk, following the pop. People have pointed out it's Young Bucks country. Ah, uh, yeah. Las Vegas with a lot of flyings. From being in the arena, I felt barely any anti punk sentiment. Yeah. So maybe it was a California thing. Maybe it's going to be the, um, the trend going forward. It wasn't unanimous. And. Nor did it even approach, it couldn't have, but it didn't even approach like the, the, the first dance volume pop, I think, CM Punk, by putting his name out there, not necessarily through himself and all the stories and all the lingering resentment and the lack of clarity. I think he's overplayed his hand in terms of being a babyface here. Um, 
I I got the, the the impression watching the reaction to this, looking at the collision ticket sales that they've thought, right, we can't afford to mess around with the so-called mythology of punk. And that is some kind of elusive, wonderful figure who deigns to sort of grant us his presence. That's why they just went, CM Punk's going to be here. Yeah. No mystery. Do you think that was the plan all along? Do you think, like you say, you, they shifted plans because of everything? Well, they didn't mention his name last week. Yeah. You know, I looked at those ticket sales and thought, yeah. he's going to be here, no messing, please buy tickets. That's it, isn't it? Like we Felt were, almost like a beg. We were tracking the ticket sales last week, and they started hot and then just stopped dead. So the people that wanted those first United Centre tickets bought them, and then there was... They're not going to hit 18,000, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, there was an entire upper deck that was just... I don't even think it was put on sale, was it? They were kind of fairly pragmatic, I guess, about mm. what they thought they could sell. And they've done that now, and this feels like, yeah, let, let's spike the ticket sales, let's see how many we can shift for the United Centre, and let's see if we can rectify some of those quite, like... I don't want to say humiliating, but they were being mocked slightly for some of the lower sales for some of the other collision tapings. Let's see what we can do with the effective some promise. Some of the Canada advances. Yeah. Like, like, let's see if we can address that with the promise of this, like, prior money-drawing star. It felt, you know, the mixed reaction was fitting because this we are entering now. Like, CM Punk kicked off the chaos era of CM Punk at Brawl Out. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, like, whenever, if he was ever going to come back, it was going to be this version. We'd, we've done podcasts where we've talked about the heel turn that probably has to happen. The idea that, like, when Second Coming was being, like, sort of thrown up as a possibility, it was like, well, perfect. Like, CM Punk is a godlike figure that believes himself to be the saviour of all this is great, because that's where that character lives now. This was probably what, you know, we should have expected, and we'll see more of in the next few months. Look at the Elite Trios match and the the discussion that generated, you know, about, like, like are, are they now, the should they be vilified for... Doing that match, did like they nailed the presentation of it in the building for a one night thing, healing it up in Chicago. But there'll be people in Chicago that don't even like Punk. Probably as a result of this, this is going to be the story mm. of Punk's return, and it's going to be fascinating to watch until they nail the character on screen as either a heel or a babyface. This period is destined to be like this. I think I can't. Destined I can't wait to see to it be a heel. He's yeah, destined to be a heel. Has yeah. to go that way. It's the most interesting choice. It's just a relief that it's all finally confirmed now. Maybe that's what's carrying a lot of this momentum. I think so. Like, it felt like it contributed to the I don't think this is the show. very best Dynamite of all time. People are talking about it like it was. I, said, I just don't share. I thought it was really, really yeah. good to grade. But maybe the the clarity that people have been searching for for this bloody long has really helped the perception of this show. It's freeing, isn't it? Mm. To actually have the news confirmed and to be able to see him on a graph that isn't photoshopped. It is it's freeing. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Have you got a watch on, by the way? I haven't. I was just wondering what time it was. Sage, what time is it? It's just a bit. No, just what time is it? It's 25 past 12. Wrong, it's Big Bill o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for the three-way with... You love Big Bill, don't I you? Love I love... Oh, my God, Big Bill. We got him twice, and he just charmed us <laughs> on both occasions. I the wish bo- I was the lollipop. <laughs> the Battle Royal, <laughs> right? <laughs> the Battle Royal in particular, right? He's a madman. Not to he be was a man possessed. Not to be so like dub dub e. I was like, man, he remembers what it's like to maximize your minutes. Because Sid nailed the take, and I'm not going to steal it from you here. But like, I can't remember it. Well, for those that didn't, li- <laughs> for, the, for those that didn't listen to our um, post show review, because we talked about him like knocking out the faves in the battle royal. Ah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So like, he did all that, but then every time he did it, and like sometimes you want a bit more of this, he just like. Mean mugged everybody in the crowd. It was like he was identifying individual fans. Like, I'm going to find somebody in a Ricky Starks t-shirt and just abuse them for doing it. And that's the crack. That's like superstar stuff. That's how like people remember that you were this big, horrible bastard in the Royal Rumble. And your comparison uh, in the Battle Royal, your comparison was nailed on. But AW baby faced it. I know. Imagine if you will the Kane and Big Show rule in the 2015 Royal Rumble. Yes. Except great. <laughs> Dolph. <laughs> Bray and Ambrose was yeah, it like bang, you, bang, you, yeah. you, and Big Bill's doing it in jeans and a, with a lollipop in his mouth, just sprinting around that ring like his body has no right to do it. Maximizing minutes is right. I've never, live at least or rarely, have I seen a performer in a wrestling ring decide to take the world by storm. Like the motivation level was off the charts. He wanted to grab the brass ring. Mm. They told him ahead of this show, "You're gonna get a big." sort of showcase in this battle royal and he's went okay i will make it amazing mm. i will take what you've given me i i eat a lot and i will just do everything possible with it he, just as star was born he was pissed funny in the rampage tag match with moriarty as well i fell in love with that duo because i just i couldn't take my eyes off him he was really really in the mood for it we were saying like that kind of like now infamous entrance because he was on his way out his last big cast entrance where like his arms swaying wide. He's like, I don't care about being big cast anymore. And I'm, you know, I'm just not locked in. Mm. That's now part of his shtick. And he like, all of it is fun. All of it is fun. Yet again, another example on this show for me, it was as if rankings existed, even though they're much missed because this, but this match, like Trent took the bullet for Orange Cassidy. What well, was a great spot that by the yeah. way. Swerve and Orange almost stole the show with their exchange like the entire show with their exchange and Big Bill stole the Battle Royal. And here they are, the three of them having a match to determine who's going to be Orange Cassidy's next challenger. Like Rankings, remember them? Like you could do this. Like yeah. You couldn't take rankings off a of Battle Royal, but this was effectively what it was doing. Let's line up a challenger off the best three. Yeah. And they did it. Yeah, so it was uh, Big Bill, Trent Barretta and Swerve Strickland. Strickland immediately just goes outside uh, to leave Trent Barretta to try and deal with Big Bill, which he uses his speed to initially do. Um, takes Strickland out with a dive. Uh, 
Bill, though, uses how bloody massive he is to hit those corner splashes, dump Strickland over the top, big boot to Beretta to take us to a break. Uh, when we come back, uh, Beretta pulls Strickland into another big boot from uh, Beal. Um, Beretta hits a moonsault off the second rope uh, to the floor to take out Big Beal, uh, but hits a uh, running punt from Strickland, who goes for his double stomp, um, Bill's fighting him on the ropes. Beretta joins in, and they superplex Big Bill. Great spot, that as well. Uh, Strickland mix, misses the stomp. Um, uh, Beretta hits a running knee and a pile driver. Bill and Beretta are fighting on the apron, uh, and Bill chokeslams him back into the ring. So Strickland hits a double stomp on on Bill from the top rope to the apron, scuttles in, steals the pin on Trent Beretta. Like you say, a great establishing of him as the next opponent for the international championship. This was just so clever for me. Like... In every respect. It was like a blow away great match, but they assembled something really smart, dramatic, and like really exciting at the same time. Um, what I love about this is that you've got, you want to reward Big Bill for his performance level and his motivation. So you put him in this match and you give him a great out. So you've protected him, but in a way that actually makes sense. I just love the little detail that Trent Beretta is a 50-50 guy. Every pro wrestling roster needs a guy who's booked 50-50 more than one. WWE just made the mistake of doing it with everyone. <laughs> yeah. 50-50 booking became this weird thing where they showed their arse and revealed like a dark art with what you do with some roster members who just do some things and then don't and then win and lose. But you kind of have to have these people. But just the little detail of him sacrificing himself in the Battle Royal to the point where, all right, he probably deserves another shot. And... Yeah, but you can beat him, and you can thereby protect Big Bill, and you can put Swerve Strickland over by using him as the guy who eats the pin. But just the level of detail that justified his inclusion in the match I thought was really, really nice. And again, it's just AEW hits different when it's the only promotion that really thinks these things through. Mm. And you elevate a, all right, okay, well, Trent's losing. But is he? Because they've had a match with Orange and Trent before. It's genuinely really good. And in the press conference, when it was um, put to Orange Cassidy, oh, you know, your friends helped you. He said in the press conference, oh, that means he's going to ask for another match. And my, <laughs> my neck hurts from the last time. Just the, and that made sense on Wednesday, but it makes more sense that he didn't win. Just every like outcome is considered when this company is firing on all cylinders. So it's not a thing. They don't miss a thing no. when they're at their very best. Uh, so I was having a great time watching this show, and then this, like, chill ran over me because next it was Renee Paquette on the stage, oh. the acclaimed and daddy ass. And me and Hamlet talked a little bit about this on the preview yesterday because, obviously, they lost the, the, the match at the pay-per-view. And then I'd watch The Road 2, which is well worth a watch just because it's a great uh, sort of retrospective on the, the amazing and harrowing journey that Statlander's been on to come back twice now. Um, but also, there was a like minute-long thing of them just sat back and going, oh, bloody hell, that hurt, and then going, oh, God, I can't believe we lost. Why did we lose? And I, we talked about it yesterday. I was like, are they going to turn on Daddy Ass? Like, you know, they're still incredibly over. They're obviously doing insane stuff with merch, et cetera, et cetera. There was just a glint of like, oh, God, this is in the pipeline now. And it felt even more prominent here. So they're talking to Renee. They say, oh, things didn't go our way at Double or Nothing. We lost that trio's title match. And uh, Billy's like, oh, God, sorry, guys. It was all my fault. I let you down. Cass is like, hey, Daddy, 
Don't worry about it. And I'm like, oh, God. We win together. We lose together. We're still the people's choice. Um, Bowen says, a few months ago, we were screwed out of tag team gold. Uh, and someone on our team deserves. I'm like, deserves what? What do they deserve? Deserves to hold gold one more time in his career. The acclaimed love daddy ass. And everyone loves the acclaimed. Did you get this as well? 100%. This wasn't just our headcanon. And watching live, other people on Twitter were saying the exact same thing. Whether or not they'd seen that road to, I don't know. Maybe they just Probably listen to the podcast. Probably just listen to our podcast. Yeah. Listen, to the, listen to the champ and thought we'll give the What Culture podcast a go. But you could feel it. You could absolutely feel it. And there was two cases on this show. Like, EW's the best when it's the best, right? Mm. There were two cases on this show, which normally you can't really do, but they pulled the trigger on neither of them. They just left you to feel nervous about it. And that's great, because that anxiety is spot on. Uh, and this was one here. Right down to the point where they went in for the group scissor, and I thought, they're going to get him now. They're gonna Backed get him. up, yeah. They're going to get him right now, and he's completely oblivious. And the fact that, and I think it's coming, and the fact that they have done it through the lens of... They're going to earnestly try to get Billy Gunn a title. Now, whether that's geeing him up for a singles match or one more crack at the House of Black where he screws up again, they've suddenly got their reason to turn. Like, we can already see it. They're frustrated. Like, things have gone off the rails a bit for the acclaimed of late. I think the heel turn is a gamble, by the way. Very Ma- bold. Massively over in the building. Uh, like, the T-shirts of the seven that were available were flying out. <laughs> like, so, like, the... This is annoying. Like the so it's a gamble to do it, but sometimes the best thing you can do with an act while they're at the hottest is turn them so that you preserve how great they were and you don't like kind of have them run out of steam, which to be fair in the trios match kind of happened. Like the match wasn't great for whatever reason AW elected to promote it as a mystery opponent rather think, than just Yeah, they're still doing the heat spot the heat sequence in that match. <laughs> it's still ongoing. Like, it was strange the fact that, like, we watched them promote it on Rampage but never saw it turn into a graphic. Mm. Like, that felt like a strange choice. But if the acclaimed... I like daddy ass kicking everyone's ass. The big F. Oh, Brody King, I ain't pissed off, mate. F4 off. Uh, <laughs> what was it? It was Darby's finish he kicked out, wasn't he? 3.1. Oh, straight up. There was a bit of that. It's the best. There was a little bit of that. Um, but, yeah, there's something to be said for, like, if the acclaimed in a cool ever so slightly... There's the argument to turn them because you'll only ever remember them as the white hot babyface act. But this was nerve wracking. Like mm. honestly, I I felt it the whole way through, and I feel like that tension's going to build. They know what they're doing. Very bold. They are at least the joint most overact in the company, at least from the buildings that we went to. Mm. The match wasn't that hot, but I think maybe the fans were split. The lighting was what it was. I lame. Maybe the match quality wasn't that good in the end to grab them. They are so over that I would think very, very carefully about turning them heel. And I understand that it's having, you know, Messi, Ronaldo, Benzema, and all of these other people in your forward line if you're a soccer team. And it's FTR's turn. And people were saying the exact same thing when the shoe was on the other foot last year of, why would you not go with FTR? Well, it's the acclaimed. And now it's, why wouldn't you go with the acclaimed? Well, it's FTR's turn. They've been languishing. They've got very luxurious but still potent problem about what to do with the acclaimed because obviously if they win so often and please the fans, then that puts them in a match with FTR and then you're asking fans to split their loyalties and that never really works. So they've done the trios thing, but the House of Black, again, are so over. Like, again, for a company that's apparently finished, for a promotion that's apparently ice cold, and yes, a lot of objective data does sort of support that take. For a company that's apparently washed on the decline, doesn't hit the same anymore, 
they've got so many overacts mm. that you have to take risks with what you do. Do you turn some of them heel? You've got too many people. You've got too many acts, wrestlers on this show that the fans like. So you might have to do a bold move like yeah. this. I was going to say, that was something I took from last week. It felt very, like AW felt short on heels, proper heels last week. Um, because so many acts are either popular because they're baby faces or just because people love them. Mm. They claim to kind of both, but the fact that they got over as baby faces by being heels suggests that they could do it again. You know, mm. they could do the whole cycle again and it'd probably work. Like if they turn on Daddy Ass, that would scan as a heel turn, even though like, you know, they'd probably be fine without Billy Gunn, but it's all about how you present it. Yeah. And then they'd probably be heels for so long that they could get over as baby faces all yeah. over again or, or like if the split had to come, like so one would be a result. Got over as baby faces because of how entertaining they were as heels. You kind of go again. Mm. You could probably go again because they're so talented. Turn the scissors vertical. What have you got? Flicking the V's. So. It's just another version of the wanker symbol, basically. Um, this guy. Yeah, I mean, they don't have many heels in AEW, but I feel like Don Callis might be one of them. <laughs> oh, my Jesus. This is, oh, this is amazing. This was so good. So Tony Schiavone's there. And I'm thinking, all oh, right, he's bringing out MJF because he says. Right, I've got to bring someone out. It makes me sick to my stomach. There's bile <laughs> in my throat or whatever. They are overplaying that one for me. Biggest piece of human garbage. Gives me no pleasure. This guy's a real heel. Like, they should save it for MGF, quite frankly. Mm. I understand. I have muted disgust, but I always love how there's this, like, they don't do heel commentators in AEW. They always have this really neat... Sports-oriented facade of keep it played down the middle, be impartial. I'll be like, MGF's too much of an arsehole. <laughs> I feel like they do this more and more, and I think it should be kept special, but that's just my opinion. So, yeah, he brings out uh, Don Callis and Kanoshke to Keshta. Deafening booze straight out the gate. Um, also, shout-out to... Well, I saw this on Reddit Squared Circle, so I'm going to give that a nod for a good reason for once, uh, who pointed out the image on the Tron of Don Callis and also his Twitter profile picture is a version of him with Kenny Omega doing Ivan the Terrible killing his son. Didn't people know this four weeks ago? I know, I, just, <laughs> I felt like it was just a thing that now everyone is talking oh, about on social right. media no, following it's, this. So it's, it's a grifter trying to get likes. Um, <laughs> so Don Callis is like, I hope those booze are for Kenny Omega because I'm the real victim here, actually. Uh, he runs down all of Omega's accomplishments and saying, that's down to me. Uh, and then he blames Omega for the scar he has to see every morning when he wakes up. Um, he says, look, whilst I lost a nephew, I gained a son. Great line. Mm-hmm. Into Keshta, uh, who's better, better than Ricky Dozan, Inoki, Muto, and Okada. And the shot I want to give a nod to. Just pan it, turn the camera down a little bit. Uh, so he, as he says, Okada, there's a little forbidden door sign behind him. Sorry, I think you wanted to say something. Just, it's so good because of the mega. He's better than Hackenschmidt. Gotch. And now Ricky Dozer. <laughs> like, there's not a singular American figure, a North American figure, to whom Callis could have compared a mega to get that hyperbole aspect over as much as. Um, comparing Takeshita to Ricky Dozan. He's the godfather. Like, that industry does not exist without him like, at all. That's it. When you go with the oldest of the old guys, it adds such like poignance, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, gosh, Hackensmith, fish. Like, you just know that you're dealing yeah, with yeah, these, yeah. Like, these legendary <laughs> black and white figures. Um, 
And he says Takesh is also going to show soon that he's better than Kenny Omega. And Takesh just gets the microphone and uh, talks about how they're going to destroy the elite and Kenny Omega. Uh, Kala said, Omega destroyed my family, so I'm going to build a new one to eliminate the elite from all elite wrestling. This storyline has such a magnificent way of making me just ask all the questions and all the answers to those questions are like dreamlike. And you expect these people involved in this storyline to deliver on your wildest expectations. Uh, delivery was incredible, didn't even have to be. He still somehow summoned yet more heat from that which he was already bathed in, mm -hmm. which was deafening, which was one of the loudest heel reactions I've heard in the modern era. It's unbelievable. And for me, it's great for Takeshita because he's still got that wonderful, nice face of just munching on cinnamon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's going to take something to get me to really jeer him. Good, I've got Don Callis, so that's the ticket. Already, I'm thinking of when Takeshita decides to be the one to turn on him and not the other way around, which I think is the way it should go. Already, I feel like he's in the clutches of someone who... Like, Takeshita's got that wonderful, too pure for this world vibe. Mm. I'm not saying he can't be a heel. I'm saying he's going to be an even better um, babyface on the back of all this. Um, again, Don Callis is a genius at what he does, at generating heat, at selling these stories, and particularly at building these characters. Like, everything he's done over the span of years on that New Japan commentary desk, full hyperbole, full hyperbole. You've never heard a single person put over another person more than what Callis did for and with Omega, and then he just pinpoints these wonderful ways to do the exact same thing with Takeshita. He's taller. He's like, he's a decathlete. He knows nine more, like, he's skilled at nine more sports than Omega ever was. Um, he's stronger, he's younger. And, like, instantly, you know this from Takeshita as well, and instantly you think of him as Omega's equal. Like, obviously he's not there yet, despite so many impressive showings on Dynamite, but he saw him in that heel attire. When you heard Callus pump him up that much, you thought... Maybe he is. Mm. Maybe he bloody well is. This is fantastic. And I tell you what, given what this told me about how much people love Omega and hate Callis for turning on him, this told me that if you plug Kenny Omega back in like a proper singles context where he's not fighting with the BCC, at the same time he is making up with Hangman Page and sort of continuing this epic saga with Mox, it's not unfocused. They are just hap they happen to be great at focusing on several things at once, right? But it's easy to get wrapped in the emotion of, oh, Omega and Paige are doing moves and I'm live in the building and it's pretty amazing for a February 2022 truther. And oh, it's great that he's doing stuff with Mox. And oh, he hates uh, Danielson as well. That's all great, but you can't get every single emotional impact all the way to 11 because it's all a series of nines. This told me that if you chart a path from Omega to Takeshita, Omega wins, and then go to Omega MGF, he probably should be the guy to beat MGF. They are struggling for that one big baby face who is going to really lead that company. And after sun, even after tonight, with Sunday in mind, I'm not convinced it's Adam Cole. Um, it could still be Hangman Page, but I don't know. For me, this reaction told me these fans are just like enamored with Kenny Omega. And if they can get a proper singles push again, where it's really direct, personal issues, draw money, business with an MGF, he could be the one. Maybe he should be the one. Look at the rating that he pulled in with Vikingo. 
look at his spree in 2021 when he's the belt collector. Maybe he is the guy to beat MGF after the long chase. It's why so many people call for it. Like, it's why so many people call for it. Kenny Omega makes you feel different when he's involved in big singles matches. And who doesn't love a bit of elite law or, like, elite trios matches or the Golden Lovers? That's coming back. Yeah. That's all happening. But, like, he's not, has, he's not had a singles pay-per-view match yet since he came back. Is that right? Not on pay-per-view, no. Yeah, like, that's not happened yet. And I understand that Omega at this point probably wants to preserve, like, himself a little bit. And mm -hmm. he said... Mm -hmm. On record, whether or not he's working or shooting, that he's just enjoying having fun. You know, you can probably fold that into the angle with Don Callis saying, well, that's not enough. I don't want you to have fun with your friends. I want you to be Kenny by God Omega and all of that. And it's funny Sid mentions MJF because one of the takeaways from seeing MJF in person is that, like, he's, he's just... Le obviously, he was levels above the four pillars, and that was kind of a problem with that build. But he's so great that the booing of him is like a collaborative process. He's... Like, ferociously entertaining, but you want to be part of what makes the MJF act great, so you boo him, right? I think a little bit of that was happening with Don Callis, because people love Kenny Omega. Yeah. Like, the more you boo mm. Don Callis, the more you're kind of a, enforcing the adoration of Kenny Omega yeah. for this for the benefit of this feud. And then if you extrapolate that to Sidgwick's point about Omega versus MJF, you've got both best-case scenarios. Yeah. You've got the people performatively booing MJF to further elevate Kenny Omega and cheering Kenny Omega to further elevate MJF. You've got the best case singles main event. And Callis here, I, I do want to isolate Callis for praise because I, like in terms of crowd conduction, just because you've got him at 11, it doesn't mean that you can't find 12. And that bit where he steps back away from the mic and says, like half on mic, half not says to Tony Schiavone, what am I supposed to do here? When he spent the entire promo trying to make himself the victim. Yeah. Now he's making himself the victim of these fans. Like mm. how dare he? That's genius. 20, 30 years experience stuff that yeah. you just simply can't teach. And that's what Takeshita needs to be in the ring with. So, like, this is perfect, like, matchmaking or bringing together of people as well for, like, the benefit of the matches because you might need a little bit of that, you know? You might... Sometimes you need a Karen Jarrett out there with you. And, like, and you've got one in, in, in Don Callis. Um, so I have no doubts that this is going to deliver when you get to the big matches and the stakes are going to feel huge and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I couldn't praise this anymore. One more thing, sorry. They might even be slowly planting the seeds because MGF, if you've noticed as of last week's Dynamite, was bringing up the fact that he's bored, there's no competition, 2024, I might be in a different company, and in parallel, AEW were really selling the idea that the elite are the heart, the soul, the spirit of this company. And maybe they've done a lot of stuff like this, but Omega defending its honor against a potentially outgoing MJF could be the best possible version of that war for AEW's soul storyline that they seem very enamored with of late. Winning the mm. belt the right way this time. Yeah. Yeah. And then dropping it to punk. Of course. Yeah. Don't want to make money. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, we should see those uh, uh, video uh, package. Canada, those Canada dates. <laughs> oh, there was one more thing I wanted to say um, about this, the Callis heat. That San Diego crowd knew they were making a moment, and that's really cool to be in the building yeah. for. And we've seen that with, like, the Dominic Mysterio. The one good week became a bit where every fan wants to do it every time that he's in the building. Perfect if this is happening with Callis because he's in a top-line main event program. Yeah. Let's have next week's crowd try and top that and next week's crowd try and top that. And then, like, they're doing half the work for them. Yeah. Uh, we got a highlight package from the TNT title ladder match. And then uh, we had Arn Anderson talking about biting a lizard man's thumb. And Wardlow called out Luchasaurus if he wants to be next in line. Uh, that was followed by Orange Cassidy and Darby Allen versus the Gates of Agony. What was the name of the... Not mine. Saw it tweeted last night. Skateboard. 
B-O-R-E-D. Ah. Uh, That's the one. Give the belt. Yeah. <laughs> That's enough for me. Yeah. Um, so they attack at the bell. Uh, Darby Allen gets free tries, a springboard coffin drop, and he gets pounced out of the air by Toa Leona. Um, Cassidy gets hit with a double knee. Uh, Brian Cage, Swerve Strickland, and Prince Nana uh, comes out to uh, watch on from the stage. They're dominating at the Gates of Agony as we go to picture in picture. When we come back, uh, Darby Allen uses his ridiculous speed to send the two of them colliding into each other. He gets to Cassidy, uh, who uses his pocket offense to get uh, the upper hand here. Um, Bishop Khan, I think it was, ducked the orange punch. Um, but uh, uh, Toa Leona hit a huge Samoan drop. He countered the double choke slam, did Orange Cassidy, though, into a double Hurricane Rana. Darby Allen comes in uh, and hits a springing coffin drop uh, and a dive to the floor. Cassidy takes out Leona with a dive. Darby Allen hits the coffin drop. One, two, three. Post-match, it looks like the rest of... Nope. Mogul Embassy. Embassy. Thank you. Come, are going to come down and kick their asses, but who's going to make the save? But a returning sting with a baseball bat uh, and Mogul Embassy retreat. Uh, but Swerve never takes his eyes off that title. You know, this is just amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. Between the 80s-influenced offense of these just massive powerhouse bastards and the fact that Alan and Castillo alike can both be Ricky Morton, this was like the most... What's what I'm looking for here? The most faithful adaptation of every great 80s tag team match ever, <laughs> except worked with a modern pace. That pounce on Derby, oh. absolutely incredible. Oh, my God. Yes. His selling was unbelievable. The wit, the slapstick shown by Orange Cassidy to sort of unwittingly have the Gates of Agony unwittingly just sort of bump heads. It had the slapstick, the weight, the heart, the action, the suspense, the catharsis of the Southern-style Southern tag match, except it was like the beefiest lads from the Fed <laughs> on the other side of the ring. Like, this tag team is incredible. They can both just sort of substitute out for one another to play. Whose turn is it to sell? Well, we're both fantastic at it. Mm. Who's got this, like, roof-raising hot tag? Both of us. Let's go for it. Um, again, Another layer of Orange Cassidy's secret punchline. I am the best wrestler. You don't know that I am. Southern-style genius, Orange Cassidy, he's great. Darby Allen and Orange Cassidy are modern mega powers. You cannot believe you get to see these two together at the same time. They mean just as much to AEW as Hogan and Savage did to WWE. And they're kind of shaking hands and working together. And you just squeal at the possibilities of everything they do together. There were two examples on this dynamite of like perfect. You can have a perfect three and three quarter star match. It doesn't have to be five stars to be perfect. And there was two on this episode of Dynamite, and they were both related to each other. And they both were kind of folded around the international title, which again keeps speaking to Orange Cassidy, which we must because he continues to be like one of, if not the best champion in wrestling. There's only one guy rivaling him, and it's not Roman Reigns. It's Gunther. Like Orange Cassidy is a special case. It will live in through it, and it's like. For the, one day, this reign's going to be over, and it's going to be really sad. It might be, be next week. It might be next week, because the prestige of this belt at this point, the fact that, like, I'm so nervous about Swerve getting this title match, but at the same time, I want him to win, because the belt means something, and I want Swerve to have something that means something, that, like, they've just about kept him on track after the Keith Lee thing started faltering, you know? Um, this was, yeah, the action was was just right. 
it was like it can be again perfect. It can be really entertaining as a TV match without needing to just be this thrilling exhibition of the, the greatest tag match you've ever seen. It was story driven yet again. Mm. Like Swerve winning earlier in the night raised the stakes of the threat that the Mogul Embassy were going to, you know, kind of when they were going to round on them. It's like, well, of course, Swerve now wants to deck Orange Cassidy. And while Darby Allen's there, why not? You know, the numbers game completely outmanned. Sting is, what, 64? But he's ageless and he's terrifying and he'll chase off five guys because <laughs> he's Sting. And that mythology has always been so well protected and preserved by AW. And by not announcing him and having him just disappear from view while Darby Allen was in this big pillars feud, they've immediately reheated him as maybe the guy that Darby was missing. Like, makes you question what if Sting had been in his corner these last few months? Would he have been able to retain his focus and maybe beat MJF? Mm. So I just thought that, like, that was a reminder when Sting came out of just how valuable he is to Darby's character, even if it's only now for the short term and he's on the, on the home straight. I love this. This was AEW television magic. AEW at its best will show me something and the wrestlers will prove something or just perform so well that I just become the most microwaved baby brain <laughs> wrestling fan in existence and say, well, give them the belts, give her the belt, give him the belt. I know it makes no sense that I've just fallen over this act and they've probably got more time and they're not in the plans, but they're so good. Like, I want them to be tag team champions. Yeah, yeah. The FTR have just got them. <laughs> <laughs> they should probably have a heel act, have them for a long time. But you claimed. And then you do a claim Derby and Orange Cassidy and how's, like that, how's that not going to rule? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we get a highlight video of MJF successfully defending the AEW world title of Double or Nothing. Uh, and he says the clock is ticking. AEW's running out of competition. They're running out of gladiators for me to slay. Uh, it's made, been made clear that no one is on the level of the devil. This is a really good promo, obviously. It's MJF that kind of goes without saying at this point. It would be newsworthy if he cut one that was merely mid. I think this is all leading up to there's no one in AEW left. And he's going to probably say something to that effect next week. And then it's, well, there's no... It doesn't really make sense, but you'll have to go with it. There's no one in AEW left, but there's not an AEW pay-per-view coming up. There's a New Japan ex-AEW pay-per-view coming up. And my choice and prediction is Tetsuya Naito. MGF has been building the idea that he abhors these idiot New Japan wrestlers for gruesomely killing each other and dumping people on their heads or willingly getting dumped on their heads and being too risky. And who embodies that more than Tetsuya Naito? And who at this stage in his career can take a loss to MGF because he's on the way out, but he's so enduringly popular? I think we're getting MGF versus Naito at Forbidden Door. That's a good shout. I had Tanahashi, and not just for the obvious heel babyface chemistry. But I mean, that would be absolutely unbelievable. But for this idea that Tanahashi, oddly, also abhors that and has proven that New Japan doesn't have to be that. MJF, you're wrong. Like it's like, a puzzle for MJF. Yeah, you I can't bit, just wait for this guy to beat himself up. Yeah, it, like I'm, I'm the ace of this, and I did it in all the ways that, like you think we're doing it wrong. Like I didn't need any of that. So, and the obviously the heel baby face, Naito's like the same. Like you're dealing with like top tier baby faces to work with the top tier heel, and I love this promo. Like who are we to doubt the word of MJF? He's a jam up guy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Tony Schiavone's in the ring to uh, salt of the earth. <laughs> Uh, interview Hook, or they didn't get anywhere. Um, 
He talked about Hook helping the Hardys win on Sunday to give Matt Hardy the contract of Ethan Page. Oh, unfortunately, no time to talk about that today. Um, <laughs> Hook gets interrupted. Jose, the assistant, uh, says, oh, this is what we've got to do to get an opportunity, eh? Rush is too dangerous to, to be on TV, but he's got Preston Vance, he's got Drillistico. They get sent into attack Hook. Uh, Jungle Boy Jack Perry makes the save, though. He's got a chair. Um, Jose ends, ends up in the ring, gets hit with a suplex from Hook. Uh, and Jungle Boy and, uh, or Jungle Hook, I should say, stand tall as uh, Preston Vance and Drillistico stare them down from the ramp. And yet again, I got a little fear of Jungle Boy with a chair and Hook not really paying that much attention to it. I thought they played with this magnificently. There were at least four or five times and I was suspicious of Jungle Boy. And I love that I think they did a great job of sort of engineering this reaction Four different times, the blocking, the performance has made you think he's gonna. Yeah, he's put, gonna put do the it. chair down, Jack. Put Why are you chair. still holding the chair? Yeah, yeah. I thought they did this magnificently. I thought they exploited the space in this ring brilliantly. The tension engineered was great. Clearly, Jack Perry is going to be a heel at some point. Uh, that's a massive match when it happens. Who wins that one? This four-year investment or guy they do not want to beat under any circumstances in Hook. But what a way to get Perry over if he beats him as a heel. Like, this has got magic and money written all over it. I thought this was so awesome. This is when I was like, the power is back and it's staying back because I'd had such a brilliant time with this episode. And then it was like, oh, here's some bad AEW. It's Hook versus Losers again. Thanks, AEW. And then they revisit Jungle Hook, a team that... Uh, Jungle Boy dissolved for yeah. his own selfish gains that have failed. So it's almost like, oh, I've gone off being a singles wrestler, have you? <laughs> like, there are heel motivations before the heel turn itself has happened that are built into this character. Like, we were all really enjoying Jungle Hook, and you took that away, Jack Perry, because you had beliefs that it turns out were ideas above your station. And now we're going to see that play out in this match that is going to be quite high stakes, even if it's not for the FTW title or anything. Do Hook so. versus Roosh first. Yeah. That would be unbelievable. Because Roosh kind of quietly exposed Jack Pair a few weeks ago and Hook can beat him. I mean, the crap out. Yeah. <laughs> like, Hook having, like, an easier time with Roosh and how good that match can be, like, sells that as well. And, yeah, obviously the, the placement of the chair and where Jack Perry was. Mm. It, was f it was fun to watch. It was fun to feel the tension, wasn't it? Yeah, it was absolutely mm. fantastic, this. You ever seen Bernardo Silva play football? <laughs> <laughs> just move his shoulder and there's, like, a dangerous bit of space he's somehow found. It was Jack Perry with his friggin' chair. Just the most imperceptible <laughs> yeah. of movements. Uh, Renee Paquette is backstage with Tony Storm Soraya and Ruby Soho. Uh, Storm says, luck has nothing to do with her title win on Sunday. Uh, she's travelled all over the world to get to this point. Um, Soho puts over Tony Storm's work ethics. Soraya does the same. And Storm says, the only lucky ones are the AEW fans. Bit on the nose, this. I like this because I thought this was a pivot for the outcasts as an act. We are stuck in the outcasts, homegrowns, run-ins, weapons beatdowns. And now, obviously, the homegrowns are down uh, Jamie Hater, So it's going to be three to two. So you probably need to, like, take some of this. Uh, it's clearly not going to be a blood and guts. We're clearly not having members added. All of that fantasy booking that you were kind of invited to do mm -hmm. has come to just basically establishing a heel act. Like, and maybe, maybe down the line, Britt Baker will turn on Hater. But it's not going to be maybe this bigger picture thing that we first saw. Such a shock, considering it's a women's division angle. But here we are. Yeah. <laughs> but I think as an act now... Tony Storm's got the belt, so they're not outcasts. Like, they're at the top of the tree. Saray's in a main event, and Tony Storm's got the belt, and they're advertising house shows with it. These are not outcasts. These are in, and they're winning. So I thought this was quite a nice pivot with them as a heel act. 
that believe they're needed to sell towns. And that's going to like, it's the women's division. So you have to like approach it at arm's length. Is it going to generate stories? Possibly not, but it should generate stories outside of we're here, we're invading and we're not going to take it anymore. This is different. And I want to see baby faces want to stop these baddies because they're baddies. Let's have a look at that for a bit in terms of this act rather than the usual mm. like turf war that has amounted to not a lot, really. Well, speaking of the women's division... It's time to play the game! Time to play, time to play the game! game. <laughs> We're doing what I can only describe... To, sorry, I interrupted you there. What? You normally say it's something after the... Oh. <laughs> well, I don't punch down anymore. <laughs> well, I'm, I suppose this is technically the wrestling podcast equivalent of going to VAR. Because Michael Sidgwick, does this show count as 1.5 women's matches? No. <laughs> I think it does, but it doesn't count as two. Yeah. That's, that's what we're yeah, dealing with round here. Down. Yeah, round down. Yeah, round down. Got a round down. What was it? He's, tw- he's 27 until he's 28 or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah, because I, I, I thought, we were talking about this on the pre we were like, wait a second, they've advertised... Uh, an intergender match. All they need to do is put one women's match on this show and they've done more than one match. But yeah, it was 1.5. The, no. the, the, the millimetre above the bar to clear, but it doesn't. that doesn't end, ladies' night officially. You want two, just to clarify. I want two. Yeah, it's got to be two. Okay, fair enough. Uh, because we got Chris Statlander defending her newly won TBS championship against Nyla Rose. Poor Nyla Rose. She's always the one, right? Okay, well, you've won the title, so you have to beat Nyla Rose. Um, but great to see Statlander back in the ring. First match since January of uh, 2022, I believe. Jesus. Yeah, wild that. Um, it been a while. She comes in with a drop kick straight away, uh, battles with Nyla Rose um, over a slam. Um, Rose gets it in the end, but misses a backsplash that allows Statland to get a body scissors. Uh, Rose suplexes her into the corner. We see Tyre Valkyrie watching backstage as we go to a break. When we come back, Statlander makes a comeback. Um, um, hits a corner uppercut and a knee lift that leads to a blue thunder bomb for a near fall. Uh, that was great. Mm. Statlander goes up top, uh, gets the legs pulled out from under her, rolls to the floor. Rose hits her with a somersault sent on, uh, and she gets uh, hit with a running cannonball. Um, whilst up against the barricade, choke slammed back into the ring for a two count. Uh, Statlander hits a jawbreaker though, 450 splash, one, two, three, although Ty Valkyrie was not impressed. Love to see that 450. And I love to see her get Nyla Rose up for the Blue Thunder because those are the two tests yeah. of how much she can still do physically. And thank God she's still got most, if not all of it, um, particularly for her first feature match. Felt like she'd been there the whole time. She's a phenomenal athlete, such a likable performer, and this is a great early omen for her title reign. I will say that I was into this match. I was glad I got a lot of heat. Um, I think it was good. I thought the finish was really rushed. I don't know if they were rushed for time, but we had Nyla Rose monstering Chris Statlander. And again, I'm really happy for Chris Statlander, mm-hmm. who I think is awesome. But there were... She was destroying her on the barricade of the cannonballs. And the next thing I knew, she'd made the comeback and won. I felt like they could have really Mm. drawn more from this match, more suspense, more struggle, more selling. It just felt like a very rushed and anticlimactic finish. But uh, they'll get there with this rain, I'm sure. Yeah. Nyla Rose and Lance Archer are so good in their roles. Because they're so good in their roles. Like, it is... 
it's a bit of a joke, isn't it? You can pull up the graphics of all of the Nyla Rose first title defences, and but why mess with that formula as long as the match keeps delivering and yeah. just absolutely deliver the fans? Nobody bought a title change, and we often talk about you need the one percent of doubt. They didn't arrive at that, but it didn't stop the match being really entertaining. Yeah, and I'm gonna shut up whinging about the impromptu nature of the title change because I feel since Sunday all I've seen is the sentiment towards Chris Statlander completely overwhelm what I viewed as like an inherent problem with it. I don't think I was the only one. I, I think you no, agreed I thought it was a bit WWE cash-in stuff for me. Yeah, again, so, sort of sacrificed one of your core tenets by doing it, but I don't know, be patient. Maybe they won't do it again for five years, and, and that's fine, ultimately. But st- if you were going to do it with somebody, what I'm saying is if you're going to do it with somebody, it appears to me already Statlander was the person to do it with based on the overwhelming sentiment towards her, which came across in the match as well. Like, she's going to play this... Like, Incredibly emotional former alien, and people are a hundred percent buying into that, and that's awesome because it's gonna inform the um Ty Valkyrie heel turn, which is completely justified off the back of Sunday as yeah. well, and that's probably gonna bang as well. Like Statlander feels all the way back. Those spots as Sidgwick alluded to weren't there just to do them. You had to see. Like that's the thing with impromptu title changes. It's like what are you really seeing from this comeback? Was it there to shield that she wasn't fully fit? This match proved that she was and is going to carry this belt well. One thing I noticed as well that they got raves for the stuff on the road too. Yeah, with Chris Statlander. Mm. A, it was good of them to show that to benefit and further layer sympathy on um, Statlander. I feel that that sort of thing should be on the norm on Dynamite. It always feels like if there's one in particular that's great, and people will tweet, they should put that on Dynamite. They invariably do, but it adds so much to the show that it should be a standard mode in which they operate. Mm. Like this can, this can't, I'm not saying exposition, just saying anything you can do, whether it's pre-recorded or not, that you can put on this TV show to get a more human glimpse at the person within or what they're great at or telling you their character arc, their struggles, their story. They shouldn't have to be prodded into putting that stuff on Dynamite when people rave about it. They should put it on Dynamite and just have people rave about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I've praised Dynamite's like improvements in formatting this last year or so. They have to get their ears rang for this. But like it was, it was 100 miles an hour live. It was really hard to like sit with anything and that's the show that I genuinely believe has improved. So I almost can't remember what it must have been like prior to that because I think they've tried quite hard this year to slow things down or let things register. But it still needs a bit of work. Oh, it's bam, bam, bam. Ming, ming, ming. ming. Tell, you what, uh, tell you what doesn't slow down, and that's Excalibur running down what's coming <laughs> up for AEW. And biggest surprise of all, Rampage is good this week. It is. It looks very good. Then you go on Twitter, and there are people who say things to the effect of, Everyone said that Tony Khan was washed with Rampage, but he was. He was. This is an aberration. Don't don't try and grift engagement. Love how you two are like sort of. It's June seventeenth. I guess collision starts, isn't it? So you're like, we were two weeks from retirement. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh god, we're not gonna say it's good. <laughs> it's what is it? It's like, so what you complain about the Rampage? All right, okay. <laughs> One really effective looking show on paper yeah. in about a year. Don't like have some self respect. Not everything's about Twitter likes. Mm. Why would you be a goldfish? <laughs> <laughs> I did. thought Rampage was finished. It is. It is. The nicest take I saw. Preview reviews are in two weeks. 
Like people were more putting over, ah, oh, like San Diego's getting the rampage it deserves. Yeah. Like yeah. I felt that like so the live crowd that have like really like elevated this dynamite are probably gonna really elevate a pretty good looking rampage card as well. Yeah. Just a good week in a good venue. We'll preview, of course, tomorrow. Uh, but then it's time for the main event. Adam Cole and Britt Baker versus Chris Jericho and Soraya. Uh, back and forth early on between Cole and Jericho. Jericho kind of getting the best out of it. But Cole cho- charges out of a corner with a lariat. Uh, Soraya tags in and goes, go on in, go on, go for me. But Baker jumps in, hits Soraya with a sling blade and an air raid crash. Uh, Soraya grabs the referee's leg long enough for Jericho to trip Baker up to put his team in control as we go to a break. Uh, when we come back again, Jericho... Uh, he's involved with referee stuff. He takes the ref, Ruby Soho and Tony Storm, hit ringside, triple team Baker. Here comes Hikaru Shida down with a kendo stick to chase him off, though. Um, Baker manages to make the tag to Cole, who pounced on Jericho. Hammer fists, missed a dropkick, though. That allowed, allowed Jericho to hit a lion salt for two. Um, Saray gets knocked down. Jericho covers his partner, thinking that's going to stop anything. But Baker goes, oh, bollocks, I'll splash both of you then. Uh, Cole hits a backstabber on Jericho, who counters the Panama Sunrise into the walls of Jericho. Uh, Baker puts on her glove, breaks up the submission, and puts the lockjaw on Jericho for a great visual uh, and a huge reaction, of course. Soraya breaks it up. Um, Cole, looking for a super kick, he gets hit with a code breaker instead for two. Um, Soraya reverses a neck breaker into her good night. Uh, as it looked like they might win the match. Jericho grabs the baseball bat. He's going to hit break Britt Baker with it, but uh, runs towards her. Baker moves. Super kick from Adam Cole. Um, multiple super kicks from Cole and Baker. One gets rid of Soraya. Then the double super kick, cr- kick Chris Jericho. Adam Cole lowers the boom. One, two, three. Uh, AW's power couple get the victory. First of all, can we smash the button for Cole and Baker's gear? Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh my god! They teamed together once before, and if memory serves, it was the like the black and red aesthetic because Britt Baker has had the Scott Hall look and Cole yeah. was a heel. So again, the babyface version kicked ass. Um, this was nice. I really love this as a. It wasn't like a fantastic match from an in-ring point of view. We can now all accept, unfortunately, actually, that the Cole Jericho peak was um, Jericho versus Roddy Strong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like truthfully, um, they're just. Like, Saturday, Sunday was tough to watch, and this kind of showed that maybe their in-ring peak was just never as high as we might have thought. This is better, though, than Sunday. It was loads better. It was tighter. Tighter, more urgent. It wasn't this flabby thing that collapsed under the weight of its own ambition. And it was better than Baker and Saray's singles match the pay-per-view before as well. This is the best version of all of it, truthfully. It was just nice. And I welcomed what felt like an emotion-driven fixture main event in Dynamite with a clean finish that took us off the air. There was something very nice about not waiting for the angle. Like, yeah. like too often matches have that, like, klaxon blaring in the background of, like, right, get that out of the way so we can get to the, yeah, yeah. the run-ins or the turns or whatever's coming next. And not doing that made this feel really definitive on the end of the Cole Jericho thing and good because what we've all seen on Sunday is something we don't want to see much more of. So let that be definitive, please, and let's just move on with our lives. And Baker getting a measure of revenge that felt significant, even if there's probably one more, like one last thing to do there as well. Like, nice, proper wrestling show, proper good babyface victory that felt like, because it's the stars. This was the main event because it was the stars, not because it was the peak of the work across the night. And sometimes that's how wrestling has to be as well. Like, just nothing to complain about here. No, just really simple, effective, crowd-pleasing fair that tied a ribbon around that angle that annoyed Cole, so the Cole character so much. Then you get the payoff to that. 
and you get a freebie on telly after the pay-per-view match. Jericho does two jobs, three if you count Britt Baker. So if you're actually willing to pay attention to the man, he's doing his goddamn job as someone who's acting as the bridge between um, his renown and the next generation of stars. He's doing it. Mm. You cannot complain about someone in his position taking the lockjaw from Britt Baker. And again, he didn't campaign to do this in the summer of 2020 when she was really white hot. He's done it after she's taken loads of jobs because he's telling the story. Mm -hmm. It's the heel he should be telling. Um, yeah, simple. Like the action wasn't great. Cole and Jericho stuff was much tighter. I wish they'd had a more furious brawl mm. rather than this protracted WWE style methodical plunder brawl on the Sunday. One thing I thought, because we say, oh, simple but done well. There's a really clever bit that wasn't just basics done well by virtue of the fact that these people have loads of experience. The spot where Jericho tripped Brit. <laughs> Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. You get all of the heat. You get all of the how can you do that heat without any kind of triggering ugly man and woman yes. violence? Because he's just pulled the leg. Mm. And he mean mugged the camera for it as well. Yeah, you know? he sold it as so much more of a transgression <laughs> yeah. than it actually yeah. was through his brilliant pro wrestling acting ability and selling and sort of body language made that feel like a big, big, you can't do that yeah. moment. When realistically, I've seen too much intergender wrestling where they do the opposite of that and it's yes. nowhere near as effective. So I thought that was really, really clever. The one way they could get away with something that they shouldn't be doing, I don't think personally, but God damn it, I'm not opening that can of worms. But I thought they did a really clever, clever, subtle way of getting the heat on Jericho here. Cedric hit on like the mass criticism of Chris Jericho. And I think, like, Sid likes him more than me, but typically we try and be balanced about when things are working and when they're not. And this program with Adam Cole has made me realise that he's not... I, I don't think he's a star maker. I think he's a good gatekeeper. Starks didn't work because Starks wasn't as made already as an Adam Cole is. Oh, he King, goes in there thinking he's going to make stars. Yeah. It doesn't happen. Kingston's got it already, but like, yeah, like objectively speaking, there's still like that one big feud he's got to win to get that, like, especially in AEW storylines. And he didn't get it with Chris Jericho mm. and he wasn't made. Adam Cole didn't need it, but you described him as a bridge. That's like, that's what he is. You, Danielson can cross the Jericho bridge to MJF. Cole probably just has. And that's where Jericho fits. You can't, Next week, like let's say the acclaim split up down the road, and Anthony Bowens is like, "Right, I need my first pick." That's not Jericho, okay. And that's where I think he fits, maybe because nobody's had the feelings hurt by the Cole thing, and he's lost to him twice. Yeah. And I think that's maybe that's been a learning experience. I guess Jericho himself will probably still be wondering where he fits in a way that he uh, gets your TV time, but he can serve a purpose, and it's probably that. Well, let us know your thoughts on AEW Dynamite on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch there. You can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Good to have the gang back together. Follow me at Adam Wilbinging. <laughs> follow us all at... What, Ricky! What, Ricky! At WhatCultureWWE. And if you want to go and read Michael Hamflit's ups and downs, they're available right now. WhatCulture.com forward slash WWE. Like I said, they're WhatCulture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts um, described by some as... One of the only professional wrestling podcasts that's actually worth a f this has been the AW Dynamite. Never getting old. That. Nope. Never getting old. Uh, to us. Thanks <laughs> <laughs> right, to the Daily Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.